Hello, my name is Ryan Parker, and we're listening to Lost and Rewound with Jimmy Hoffman and Ilan Danziger. Here on Radio Free Brooklyn, time to get embarrassed with us. to uh, during pride month for us to have a bye week sure <laughs> <laughs> quite an unexpected uh, week off but thank you for everybody coming back to listen to our show this is lost and rewound on radio free brooklyn my name is alan my name is jimmy yes we didn't perish radio free brooklyn is kept alive with the kind contributions of listeners like you yes you took the words right out of my mouth no i didn't yes you did you really did <laughs> i slapped it right out and i put it in my mouth i well does it taste good uh <laughs> needs more spice it's more spice it's spicy it is delicious. so go to radiofreebrooklyn.org slash pledge and pledge your amount of desire to the, the desired amount of the, <laughs> see, desire. See, exactly. Pledge if all your if it was coming from your mouth, it would be much spicier. Much, much, much spicier. And, and smoother. Yes, you can come and you can you can donate yes, directly to our show as well at radiofreebrooklyn.org slash L-A-R. Either which way, you'll be donating uh, to a good cause. The arts is uh, in dire need of your attention right now so there's free speech baby free speech yeah radiofreebrooklyn.org slash pledge goes to the community as a whole and will provide us with much more financial ease and uh if you contribute to our show specifically you'll be a sponsor and help ease our uh monthly dues which you know honestly you know it, i don't really mind the monthly dues at all but we might <laughs> well we do mind uh having to shill out uh five dollars for lattes so you know please you have <laughs> Any amount of money that you're willing to uh, take from that latte fund to Radio Free Brooklyn's Lost and Rewound, that's where you come in. I don't, I don't contribute to the coffee, the coffee man. Nope. No. Nope. I don't trust the coffee man. I trust the coffee. Oh, you do. You're, you lo- you I, trust, the coffee. I trust coffee just as much as I trust the coffee-making robot that got me the coffee this morning. No, I have a, I have a, a disdain for... For the coffee, for All the right. coffee merchant. All right, enough, enough of this, <laughs> enough of this coffee robot business. Let's get started.
guest this week hails from Sacramento, California, now living in Brooklyn. He is a stand-up comedian and also host of his own podcast on the Brain Machine Network, as well as iTunes. Find UFOlogy all over the webs, and welcome to the show to talk about this, plus his contributions to the hard times, Mr. Sam Rose. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, of course. You've been working with The Hard Times with Jeremy Hammond, one of our previous yes. guests. Oh, yeah. We're in a, me and Jeremy in a group chat, so. Yeah. Oh, so, right. so things are deep. Oh, things are deep. <laughs> How did you get connected with Jeremy? Um, I met Jeremy at a now-defunct alt-comedy venue in Brooklyn, and the first time we met, actually, we were talking about Chumbawamba. Oh, man. That's how all good relationships begin. Well, yeah. and he goes, did you know that they were an anarcho-punk band before they were Chumbawamba? And I <laughs> said, no. That's yeah. great. That was our first conversation, and then over a couple months, we were talking about punk and all that kind of stuff, and he's like, oh, you should try you know, submitting a packet for the hard time. And I did, and I got passed. It was history from then. When people go to thehardtimes.net, they could find uh, some articles that were written by you. What's one of your favorite articles that you've written of as of recent date? Uh, okay, out of the ones that have been published so far, uh, I would say that my favorite one right now is um, on the Hard Style blog rather than the Hard Times. It's sort of like their parody or their satire of like a just like a blogger, right? The one that I got passed there was called. Lena Dunham's bravery inspired me to admit that I like Graves era misfits. <laughs> so that is like it's very niche, you know? Uh but uh, it's it was one of my favorite things to write. So. Yeah. What inspired you more to write that your your love of the misfits or I'm guessing your interest in Lena Dunham? I love the misfits obviously, but I also don't Look, I've seen every episode of Girls at okay. least once, so I'm not here saying that I hate Lena Dunham. Just the this whole uh, sentiment that she is like super brave, and uh, you know how that inspires people to do ridiculous things. I think is sort of more. I'm everyday heroes. I know what you're talking about. <clears throat> I mean, I think that's uh, people slap that label on right a lot of situations. Sure, and like, oh, how heroic he is to do that. I can't believe. Right. I mean, it's like just because it's not your life doesn't mean that it's you know everyone lives lives their own you know trials. Yeah, yeah I actually I'm you know I'm I'm fairly neutral on Lena. I like yeah, do do your thing, go yeah. for it. I, I have no problem with her. Somebody told me recently that they have a whole plan to murder her, and that's ridiculous. Wow. Yeah. I was, I was kind of like, I don't like this. I never liked that whole like, yeah. Oh, if I ever see him, I never see him. But if I do see him, he's gonna get it. There <laughs> are people that I revile so much in the celebrity canon, but there's no reason why I would be so passive-aggressive to say, if I had them in alone, I would kill no, them. No, I would like never this. kill anybody. Like I'm, like, I'm a devout Yankee fan. I lived in Boston. I saw Red Sox. There was opportunities for me to make my team better. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and I just, every time I saw one of them, I just turned my back and walked the opposite direction from them. I just didn't want to see them. It was mm-hmm. just, I was just like, ugh. It just made me feel bad. I never, my mind was like, Oh, I can change the legacy in this moment and, like, you know, seal the fates. <laughs> I was put here for a reason. Like, you know, people are crazy. Were you writing, Sam, before you became a stand up comedian? I started doing stand up before I started uh, writing for the Hard Times, for sure. Comedic writing is something that was always a part of your arsenal? No, I wouldn't say that at all. Uh, that's sort of fairly new to my comedic arsenal, I think. I. Before I started doing stand-up, I had, like, joke notebooks where I was like, one day when I do stand-up, I'll do these jokes. And then I did, and they were awful. But I also have notebooks that start out with really bad poetry, 
and then sort of evolve into jokes, which is fun. Your jokes came out of your poetry? They were they were spawned. Yeah, but they like, spawned like you know like little like eggs, and well, they became and then they spawned into little larvae, and then the larvae became jokes. Yeah, you could say that. Cause I think it was more like I was going through like a really rough time, and I was writing really shitty poetry, and then realizing how bad and ridiculous and like hilarious the act of me writing this awful poetry was i think is what propelled me to start writing jokes well i think that people all the time think that when you're approaching like joke writing that you're like trying to write funny stuff and it's like no you're approaching other stuff and finding the funny in other situations that happen to you in your life yeah, yeah. I so think, I don't think I've ever sat down to write something like, like hey, I'm gonna write a joke, and like it, that never works. No, no. <laughs> never. yeah, it's always like something happened. Yeah, and then you react to it, and the, you know you find the funny in that. That's why you're like a comic, right? But the idea is it's never, yeah, it's never like, ooh, yeah, joke time. Yeah, <laughs> people. I mean, there are people that can do that, and I'm like, you know, more power to you. I wish I could do that, but yeah, uh, it's I, know what you mean. I I can't. I gotta wait. Around, I gotta sit around, sit around waiting for some something to happen. I guess that's probably the difference in observational comedy. Yeah, and people sure. who do like more absurdist stuff, where they can just come out, like you say, and just go and and totally. You know, I do admire those guys a lot. Oh, so much because they do something that I can't do. Absolutely, I don't know anyone who is a comic that like does more observational stuff that doesn't really, really admire people that can just sit down and write a joke. Guys, that, yeah, there are these guys that come out on stage saying just absurdities just stuff that makes no sense and they just ham it up and commit and it's because of the nature of the delivery right it's hilarious yeah, absolutely it's, it's something that i wish i could do but it's one of those things that i feel foolish trying totally absolutely <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah so at some point i think you have to see what works best for your delivery does it mean more that you change up who you are and you find that niche, that personality, to allow for the words that come out to sound better? Or does it sound better for you to be yourself and just let the words mm-hmm. dictate that? Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it's interesting because I think that even comedy becomes clicky because those guys want to be around more guys like themselves. Oh, yeah. Because I feel like they do help themselves. They write together in that kind of like – because it's one, it's one of those things that there are certain comics that when you're talking to people that are comics – like you can tell this guy's a comic because mm-hmm. he's like trying to be on, mm-hmm. like in the conversation. Right. And then there's people who are just talking to you, <laughs> and you can tell the difference. And you're like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. this guy's trying to win this conversation right now. He's yeah. trying to beat me in funny, <laughs> right? In this moment. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, it's usually for me. It, I I noticed that uh, as soon as like a person who doesn't do comedy finds out that you or the people that you're around do. All of a sudden, they're trying to win the conversation. That's like, true. Like immediately, it's like we're all just act. We don't want to even talk talk shop right now. We're just like talking about music or whatever. And then all of a sudden, this real person comes in, and just starts, you know, like shooting in jokes. And it's like, all right, well, I guess we have to do it now too. You know who does it a lot? Dads, the old dads. <laughs> they're just like, oh yeah, you're like jokes, hey? And you're just yeah, that is my dad. In a and then you're just like, and then they just tell you their old favorite joke that they heard around the, you know, the, yeah. the watering hole or whatever, wherever you hear a joke. I wish my dad had those jokes. My dad's like, my dad's hilarious. He's just like a huge goofball, you know. Like he never, I've never heard my dad like tell a joke, but like he'll just do ridiculous things yeah. and make everybody laugh. You grew up on the West Coast in North California. Yeah, yeah. And 
what was your upbringing like? Was your upbringing before you were dad and your mom very much like uh, involved in seeing a lot of entertainment a lot? Like, did they take you to see comedy shows a lot, or did you seek that out on your own? My parents were very influential in both my musical tastes and my comedic tastes as well. Like, my first ever concert was a Social Distortion show with my dad in seventh grade. Awesome. That was one of his favorite bands because he's from Southern California. My whole family is. Um, so they were really, my dad was really into that. And then like my mom during the eighties was living in the UK. So she brought over the specials and second wave ska and stuff like that. I was always listening to madness X and just all these really cool bands from like the you know, late, late seventies, eighties and stuff like that. Do you have any siblings? Yeah, I got an older brother. So the two of you were very much impressed upon from an early age, a lot of landmark music really for yeah. the genre. Yeah, absolutely. Like most of my friends' parents are significantly older than my parents and also just didn't have cool musical taste. So having that stuff around like uh <clears throat> now I'm realizing like my parents are really fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, it's super unique. People's parents typically don't listen to cool music. The Dropkick Murphys and Rancid are on tour right now. And I really wanted to go see them in uh, Asbury Park, New Jersey. And I asked Jeremy uh, if he wanted to go with me. And he said, absolutely not. (laughs) Okay. Absolutely not. And I was like, well, I I can't think of anyone who would want to go all the way to New Jersey to see Rancid and the Dropkick Murphys, two of my favorite bands from back in the day. And so I was like, well, I guess I'm not going to go. And then I got a text two days later from my mom saying, your father and I are going to go see Rancid and the Dropkick Murphys (laughs) in Sacramento. (laughs) And I was like, what? None of my friends would even go with, like, go to that with me. And she's like, oh, well, you're going to be here in California, uh, like, you know, a couple of days before the show. Why don't we just get you a ticket? And I'm like, all right, great. So now I'm going to go see Rancid and the Dropkick Murphys with both my parents. Beautiful. That's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a magical moment there. Yeah. You know? That's family bonding right there. Oh, it's going to be great. I, it's, it's funny. I, I think about this a lot. I really like baseball a lot. And I like baseball a lot because my dad really liked baseball a lot when I was a kid. Yeah. And I wonder that if he didn't like baseball, if I wouldn't care about yeah. it. Did he ever take you to any other games, though, Jimmy, besides baseball games? No. Like football or basketball? Well, when I was older. But by, at that point, I was already a baseball kid. Right. Like he, I, but not when you were a child. The first, I mean, I've been to, at this point, like a half dozen hockey games. I've been to a basketball game, just one, and one football game. Football game I went to when I was like 20 basketball game I went to in college with a friend of mine and uh, the hockey games I went to as an adult as like as comp tickets from working and stuff like that only baseball and he only took me to Yankee games I went to Met games with other friends of mine I've been to four parks both the Yankees old ones and the, the Mets old one and the Yankee and Mets new ones I think about it all the time. I go, man, oh, man, you get so conditioned. Oh, yeah. If my parents were just regular normies. <laughs> normies? By the time I was a kid, like, they were pretty square. But in the 80s, my parents definitely did a lot of stuff. They had cool taste in music. They traveled and, you know, whatever. By the time I was a kid, they were pretty square. But, like, they still had that music around the house. Like, I feel like if they were just regular squares from the jump, I don't know how, what I would have turned out. Like, I'm not cool enough to, have, like, to be in a record store in Brooklyn doing a podcast, you know, like... If they weren't cool and listened to cool music before I was born, there's no way I would be here. Well, what uh, ended up bringing you over to the other side of the country? Uh, I'm in graduate school right now. Oh, yeah. I see. I came out here for grad school. What are you studying? Uh, I study archaeology. What about archaeology in New York City uh, brought you here? Oh, just the school. Just yeah, the I, I've been traveling around the world doing archaeology since like 2012. So, what, nice. is, what is your goal in archaeology? What do you hope to find to uncover? Oh or, man, you know that's a that's a big question. I, yeah, that's all I'm wanting. And I'm uh, I'm trying to figure that out myself. Basically, since. 
2012, I've been somewhere else. So I haven't really stuck around on a project or anything for very long to figure out what exactly I'm looking for. I've just sort of been helping other people out. I had a friend of mine who uh, was actually a guest on our show, uh, Kesley Hyten. Yes. And she was actually she was out in Colorado. She was going to school to be an archaeologist. Oh, yeah? And she gave it up. And I don't know for what reason she goes, oh, I changed my mind. And actually now she's becoming a, she wanted to become a biologist instead. Oh, okay. And she's actually now, she just got accepted to go work with orangutans in Florida in, oh. uh, in some orangutan retreat. Oh, nice. And that's her thing now is that for, so she fixated and fixed, and, and like picked an animal and said, I'm going to become the uh, orangutan expert. And sure. I was wondering the same way. You know, I think that she, it was similar that when she was an archaeologist, she was like, oh, I don't really know what I want to do with this, but I like the idea of it, you know. Yeah, on a, from a practical standpoint, studying archaeology is uh, not a good idea. <laughs> there are very few jobs, and the jobs that do exist do not pay you very well for unless you, you know, you get tenure or, you know, you've been around for 20-something years. So you really got to be in love with it isn't, to stick it, yeah, stick with it for a exactly. long time. Exactly. Like, isn't that the whole reason why you go to school uh, to study a certain concentration of which if you're not going to be a professional student for the rest of your life yeah. you uh are supposed to somehow get a job from it immediately right yeah. after school i find it all very sort of disingenuous the whole like going to an undergrad program and then a grad program and then assuming that you're going to have a job as a writer or a job as a philosopher or you know just a lot of these very <laughs> yeah. airy fairy that's that's the perfect way to put it a job as a philosopher <laughs> like yeah you're or gonna, a sociologist you're just gonna be out there and have followers <laughs> right. like you're gonna go and preach and like you know to people and be like oh well i think the world is like this i actually think it's kind of amazing to hear that you are going to grad school for archaeology while you conduct a podcast about <laughs> ufos yeah so where do how do these tie in uh they don't uh, <laughs> but they could oh they could i just i don't subscribe to any of those so you're not things. a scientologist we're saying no not a scientologist i'm not an ancient aliens dude um my my well first of all we should say that my my podcast is definitely it is a comedy podcast yes um, we're not out here being real. <laughs> like, uh, we've proposed Fair many enough. many ridiculous conspiracy theories, none of which I believe. It's all for comedy. Honestly, I think the most interesting part about that podcast is not really necessarily talking about aliens and like conspiracy theories and like the Illuminati or anything, but we have these questions that we ask our guests. Um, what do you think alien comedy would be like? And how do you think aliens laugh? For some reason, I really like those questions. We ask them every time. It's really interesting to think about the nature of humor on our planet and like how that could differ in a different universe or on a different planet with different environments and things like that. How does humor translate throughout the universe? You so know? Would you say that this show is a parody of a alien show or you just it's a comedic in nature alien show yeah it doesn't take itself so seriously it's that that's the latter for sure i think when i first started it i, I should say i hosted it with my my good friend brian bahi and uh, produced by leif enoxon who's the proprietor of brain machine comedy i think when i first had the idea for it i thought it should be like a parody of those ridiculous extraterrestrial ufo conspiracy theory podcast which i listen to every once in a while just for a little inspiration mm -hmm. but it never really panned out I would have to do a lot of work for that to be the case. So pretty yeah, much to make it really hammered up and yeah. actually, I'd have to write poignant. Yeah, I'd have to write a bunch of stuff for it. So the You'd way have we to do prepare. it, yeah, we don't we don't prepare really. We have we we find two headlines of people who have seen UFOs in the last week. 
<laughs> is it that often that it, that it happens? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I believe anything nowadays. I'm sure. No, oh, I mean, sure. you saying yeah, I'm not, I don't doubt that at all. Absolutely. Sometimes we tailor it to like the place where the guest is from. So if they're from Florida, we find a couple from Florida, which there will never not be one from Florida. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I like fair. that because you, yeah, you always have material basically. Yeah. We read the description of the UFO and like the personal testimony of the person who sent it in, and then we discuss it whether or not we believe it's to be true and that kind of thing and we just sort of just like make jokes would you have ever believed in aliens growing up did you have a suspicion that there was some extraterrestrial life forms that existed out there when you oh sure i mean i still do yeah yeah i mean i think it's ridiculous to think that we have an ever-expanding universe and that there isn't some sort of life there's gotta be there's gotta be i mean look at all this crap that we have yeah there's gotta be something worse or better than us right yeah that's sentient do i believe that we're descendant of them no Absolutely. Do I believe they came to Earth and built the pyramids? Absolutely not. I'm an archaeologist. We have so much data that does not support that theory. I'm certainly not one of these ancient alien people. No, Um, it's much more like an Area 51 government keeping it under wraps from us because they wouldn't want a a panic. Sure. If people find out they're aliens, it's going to discount all of religion. God forbid if there's any (laughs) data that actually enforces truth. But yeah. unfortunately, we live in a time now where people are like, so you've got data that don't impress me much kind of shit. <laughs> yeah. dude, dude, one alien, like straight up one alien they can show on TV, like high death and all religion. I mean, if we're at the center of the universe, then how is there a God? And it's, it's, it's over. I just wonder, like, what does it take to convince people that something is a fact? Do they have to read it? Do they have to hear it? Do they have to see it? Do they have to be smacked on the head by it? High def, dude. Yeah, it depends on who, <laughs> it depends on who you're trying to get. What kind of angle do you have on the camera? How well can I see it? If people saw Bigfoot and like it was the quality that you saw when you were watching like the World Cup, and that many angles of Bigfoot, they would believe that Bigfoot existed. Yeah. I am so sorry <laughs> that they have managed to create an empire of TV programming based on Bigfoot's existence to these poor people <laughs> who honestly live their entire lives as good people, but just totally in the dark without realizing that where they are going is a total lost cause. It's one of those things about Bigfoot that makes me think, because the guys who are the Bigfoot hunters are so ridiculous. So if they're so incompetent, does that mean that Bigfoot could exist because there's no way they could catch him because they're so incompetent? Or they know? could be in on the whole, uh, the whole thing, the whole angle, that they know that they're just providing the entertainment, so act stupid for the camera. Oh, well, that's, that, there could be plenty of guys that do that. Oh, yeah. Dude, I would do that. Oh, that would, that would be in the same vein. But, the, but then, but then, hamming it up and keeping it fake would be a challenge. Tell you what, you write me a check, I'll do whatever, <laughs> whatever you want, Dude, man. I'll walk a... out there in the field and be like, "Yeah, I saw it. Dude, <laughs> He's there." So serious about it too. Be like, just over this ridge, we saw. <laughs> yeah. The Sasquatch, also known as Yeti, also just going. There. Yeah, man. I mean, I gotta get ready for pilot season, so you know, like, why not? <laughs> why not do some acting? <laughs> Uh, what's that? What was that movie? Uh, Harry and the Hendersons, man. Yes. Didn't they make a, a TV show version of it though? Uh, I'm yeah, almost certain. I, that... I think they did. I don't. Yeah. I, 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 that sounds vaguely familiar. I, I have a, a vague recollection of without cheating and looking at my phone like you were wanted to do every now and again. I feel like there's a there's a cartoon version of it. Uh, no, I, I, it's totally. It's, it's like a fox. I got my sitcom. assistant, Comedidoro. Uh. <laughs> El Fono, a.k.a. Comedidio. El Fonita. <laughs> She's 
Ladies and, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> let rest assured, we try and go like no. Sam was saying on the phone, we try and go no, off the dome here without I, preparation. I, I'm not preparing anything. Exactly. <laughs> My assistant is. I should also say that uh, I do very little in terms of preparing for the podcast. The producer, of course, uh, sets up all the stuff. And Brian, my co-host, is usually the person who ends up finding the the headlines. So uh, I myself do very little prep. Uh, They do a little more. (laughs) Yes, there was a show. And it was on Fox or something. Amazing. The things you, you find out. Because that was the channel that was giving us uh, The Simpsons, Married with Children, and um, yeah, there was a lot of good Parker Lewis There's a lot of lose. good programming on Fox. I'll, I'll, I'll never forget that name because that was a great name for any show. Oh, well, big shout out to Fanita for getting that information for us. Yes. <laughs> so, other than <laughs> what, what was your first gig? Actually, I should ask. I'm curious what your first gig might have been like. Oh, uh, well, I would say that I would trace my first gig to actually before I did stand up. When I had to give a toast at my brother's wedding. Okay. I think there was like 200 people. I've never performed to 200 people again. And let me tell you <laughs> something. I fucking... Wait, am I allowed to... Yes. Yeah, um, I fucking crushed, dude, at that wedding. I really did. Um, it's good because when you have a nice contained audience of people you sort of know, you all have commonalities, the the bride and groom. Yeah, totally. I, uh, I, I totally murdered that. And then <laughs> after that, I was like, you know what? I should go to an open mic. <laughs> Dude, that's so funny. That, that's hilarious. That's what gave you the confidence. Dude, public yeah. speaking is public speaking. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've been doing that a lot since I was a kid. I was, like, on the debate team in high school. And, like, I was never shy in terms of, like, public speaking in class and things like that. So um, it's not the speaking. It's the doing comedy and potentially bombing that is terrifying. And you've bombed, obviously, in the past. Everybody at one point will bomb. and I and bomb... Most times. <laughs> do you bomb? And how atomically do you bomb? At a mic, very atomically. Uh, I bomb most times. <laughs> at a show, I tend to do pretty well at shows. I uh, Surprisingly show. well. But, uh, at show a, audiences are, are, are better. Yeah. Audiences. Especially, hard, like, for example, I did the Hard Times Showcase um, at the Tender Trap yeah. a couple months ago. And that was great. Like, that was one of my best shows because, you know, like, everyone there was so on board because they're there for the Hard Times. We all write for the Hard Times. I very much like a hard timesy person, so like they're super on board from my point of view and my kind of jokes and things. So that was great. But you know, you never know what you're gonna get at a mic. Yeah, I tend to bomb a lot. The best bomb, man, and the worst bomb a lot. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, sure. yeah, you have to. I think it's a it's important to uh, fail there in good company, especially. I think it's maybe a little different when you're bombing in front of strangers versus then you're bombing in front of friends. Yeah, because. The friends know you and can give you that feedback, whereas with strangers, I don't know how I would think if I was having that kind of struggle in front of people who didn't know my style of humor. I can say some straight comedy advice that I've realized after doing comedy for a few years now. My comedy success is directly proportional to the amount of energy I put into the performance. And I'm not talking about like preparation. and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, That's a part of it, definitely. But if I come on stage with big energy, I get bigger energy out of the audience. And mm-hmm. if I come sort of like, and I creep on a stage, then yeah. they kind of like, they, I got to creep a laugh out of them. And I've had times where I know the material is not that good. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like coming at it really hard. Right. And then people are just like, ah, yeah, I like it because you're selling it. 
like a good salesperson. Yeah. Uh, yeah. See, my whole brand is, uh, I feel like I actually tend to do better if I'm feeling shitty right before I go out. <laughs> yeah. So oh, it's, it's, it's your shtick. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's been a couple of times where I was like, man, I don't want to do this show. I don't want to do this mic. I would have just turned around and went right back home, you know, and then I get to the mic and I see everybody. I'm like, okay, hi, whatever. Like, I don't want to be here. And then I just come up and crush. I'm like, oh, okay, I get it now. That only works if it's natural. If I try to manufacture that kind of attitude beforehand, it does not work. When you go back to the West Coast mm -hmm. ever to perform, yeah. does that style of comedy that you perfected here on the East Coast translate well back home? Well, I certainly have not perfected anything. I've done one show in L.A. since I started doing comedy, and I think it went pretty well. The guys who hosted it um, told me to hit them up again next time I'm in L.A., and I did, and in August I have three shows in L.A. because of that. I don't really have any like New York-specific jokes or anything like that. Yeah. Alt, sad boy comedy is the same everywhere so like if there's alty sad boy people who love morrissey in la people love morrissey in brooklyn if if i'm performing in front of them they're gonna like me that's really great that you can boil down your comedic style <laughs> oh, it's it just is. A, sad alt boy. sad boy it's all it's alt sad boy like that's very much uh my my perspective but my comedic style lends itself to energy I can't exactly explain it, and I feel like every time I say it, it sounds stupid. Maybe you're just trying to still figure out a way to pinpoint it. I try to do black people comedy for white people. <laughs> That's a great path to go down, honestly. Yeah, and, and the reason I do that is because uh, I got the in because I'm Puerto Rican. <laughs> so it's like, and because I'm like a halfie, I always have that both mm -hmm. sides of it. People have always, they don't know how to approach me, so I have people approach me and treat me both ways. I have like every kind of perspective. I feel like, um, and I, I don't really land on an, on one side. So it's fun, but I feel like there are times that certain comics feel like they can't express themselves in certain ways, or they don't want to do certain things, or there's some stuff's taboo to say. If I have the opportunity to say that kind of stuff, sometimes mm -hmm. like I have the excuse, like the reverse racism that exists, in yes. especially comedy now. So I have to take that opportunity. Especially, so many people get so many bad things happen to them with racism. Especially when I was growing up the same way. And you get mistreatment that it's like anytime you have the opportunity to use it to the best of your advantage, you know, it's like, why not? Right? This is true. Sam, you were involved in music quite heavily growing up on the West Coast. Yeah. Your music genres that you were involved with uh, are not specifically one no. in, in one. Um, it, there's no umbrella term necessarily for oh, it. No. It kind of goes all over the map. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I have very, uh, very eclectic musical background. What was the impetus for getting into all this stuff? My, my earliest sort of like musical interests were punk rock. And that's because I wanted to be involved in, you know, something that was like a little different. And uh, I was too scared to skateboard. So <laughs> you were too scared to skateboard, but you were not fearful of the microphone and playing a guitar in front of people who were skateboarding. Uh, very, no, still very fearful, uh, still very fearful of doing that, but the bodily harm potential, uh, playing music is a little bit less than skateboard. With emotional pain, sometimes it's easy to turn the page quickly, but then those emotional scars, they last long too. Right? Oh yeah, man. They... So, so it's, uh, it's another, uh, it's an, uh, <laughs> like a double-edged sword. As, as, <laughs> as a fellow, uh, sensitive man, I <laughs> definitely understand. All, the, all of the old sad boys. Yeah. <laughs> emotional pain was my, uh, ticket instead of, uh, the physical pain. Like, if I ever went to a show, for example, I clearly avoided the mosh pit. I was much happier oh, yeah. being far away from any physical interactions like that. I used to go in the pit. When I was a kid, 
But then I was that guy. I wasn't pit police, but I was like one of those guys where someone was like spin kicking. You'd be like, come on, bro. Come yeah. on. You know. <laughs> There's other people here. We got. We got to like walk out of here. Yeah, no, that's that's me. But from like forty feet away, we're like, oh, come on. Just just being like the, like the oldest Jewish man at the show. You know, like, really? Are you on. gonna? You're just gonna backflip into me? Yeah. <laughs> you know. I, I've seen. Have you seen people get kicked in the face? Oh, like, I've, this is so so I've, rocked. I've been kicked in the face, and I wasn't even <sighs> trying to be in the mosh pit. Like I went to go see Primus when I was in high school. Me and my friends we were big Primus fans. We we're like very close to the front. And then Les Claypool walks on. He starts doing like a, a nice uh, intro on his bass, and then boom! It just like the so to speak the beat drops right, and then there a pit just formed around us. I had no intention of being in the pit, and I was just getting tossed around, punched in the face, whatever. And I was like very clearly, desperately trying to get out of the pit. Yeah, and, there's uh, there's that moment when the pit starts, when all the people that don't want to be in the pit immediately try to escape the pit. Yeah, but so frightening. Can't. It's I'm a like terrifying moment. Crawling out. Yeah. Thank God, there's this like 40 year old dude who clearly saw, and he grabbed me and pulled me out. And That's I was great. Like, Thank you so much. That's great. But I've been saved in the pit many times with people that yeah. came and hook you up. Oh God. Let's uh, get to the music in a little bit. When we come back, Sam Rose is going to unleash to your eardrums the sounds of his youth. This is Lost and Rewound. Radio Free Brooklyn. Joining us again is Sam Rose. He the multi-talented. Sam. He is the multi-talented, the multi-talented. And we're about to find out just where those uh, other talents began. Sam, a lot of times when we have musicians on our show or people who were musicians in a past life, they don't have MySpace pages. Like they usually just have the files. Yeah. But you legitimately have only your links through your MySpace pages, Wait, of which are still is, active. The MySpace is still active. Yeah, but MySpace. <laughs> As a website is still active. Yeah, just for music now. Yeah. I remember that it, it got founded on music originally, right? They, so now um, it's no longer like a social network. It's really just for music. This is really before Facebook really kicked in. Of course. Um, How active were you on MySpace just very. on a personal level? Oh, very. I was too. I remember that you could count your views when yep. page views yep. was a thing that people cared about on the internet. Yeah. yeah. And I was really proud of the fact that I had a lot. Isn't it sad that we actually now as a show... Even though we're supposed to like be specifically uh, involved in the whole analog slash digital audio from our childhood, and MySpace can be put in that same sort of box of things that we just don't think about anymore. So let's go in chronological order here. Sure, so yeah. to reiterate, mm-hmm. these are live MySpace links that you can yeah. go on right now and yep. listen to the tracks. Like you don't have to have dial-up to get on MySpace. No. The website is live. These were migrated over to the new MySpace from what they call MySpace Classic. Yes. I don't have any of the original files anymore. Tell us how... USRC came about. Okay, so USRC, first of all, stands for Uncle Sam and the Rockin' Chairs. I thought that I was Uncle Sam. It wasn't until, like, later on in the band's, like, lifetime that my guitarist Garrett told me that 
my name being Sam and the name of the band having Sam in it, there was no connection there. <laughs> and that he was actually Uncle Sam the whole time? <laughs> I mean, basically, he was pretty much the front man. How did you connect with the band members? We all grew up together in Davis, California at Emerson Junior High. Garrett was in my biology class or something like that. I can't remember. And uh, I know he played guitar and I just started playing bass. And then so we just started jamming together, and then we thought it's time to get some uh, drums up in this. Up in this piece. Yeah, so we got my good buddy Errol uh, on there to play drums. Then uh, for a little while we had another friend of mine, Justin, playing guitar, but he never really stuck around. And then uh, we had this guy, he's in that picture on MySpace, uh, Connor, who would sing for us. But then after we recorded this demo at this studio, Connor sang three songs, I sang one song on that demo connor was ousted from the band and i took over full-time singing ability or full-time singing and so what we have on this so MySpace, you, were, you were uncle sam at one point at one point i like to believe i was <laughs> so what we you, have do you wear like a like a top hat no That'd be so cool. we, did, we did have matching uncle sam guitar straps though nice. awesome nice. which i made more punk by like wiping blood on it when i bled <laughs> but Okay, but this is very like, American. Keep it real, very yeah, exactly. American. But if the to be fair, the, the blood came from me popping zits. <laughs> oh, oh god, that, that that is very high school. This is middle so, school. Baby. Yeah, like I said this is very middle school. Yeah, this so is very middle school. We're gonna listen to the first track called "Safe Tonight." Anything? Yeah. Any background? Uh, this is a this is an anti-flag cover from their first album. Got uh, it. Die for the government. So, All right. Yeah. <laughs> How yeah. long had you been playing bass? 
Probably two years. What made you pick up the bass, of all things? Oh. We're going As opposed to drums or guitars. We're just going straight into my bits now, because <laughs> uh, I have, I've, got, I've got a bit about this. Um, but pretty much I wanted to play guitar, um, and I played guitar a little bit. My dad had an acoustic lying around, so I, he taught me a little bit of that. Um, but when it came time for me to like actually jump into an instrument, I wanted to play guitar. My parents said, no, don't. Why would you? Everyone plays guitar. You should do something that some people don't do. And uh, so bass it was. And they definitely didn't want me playing drums. <laughs> so, they didn't want you playing drums? No. I mean, What parent wants their kid playing yeah, drums? Yeah. My brother had done it, and they're like, well, oh, I see. we're not doing that again. So, so loud. Bass it was. You're going to create the Rose Band. The drums are already taken, so you just do something else. You yeah, to... exactly. I ended up getting a kit anyways, so, like, you know, whatever. Sure. <laughs> I just did it when they weren't home. What's this next track we have here called uh, Sticking in My Eye? Yeah. The one we were just listening to previously was recorded at a studio, um, part of a demo that no longer exists. Then this one that we just, uh, that we're about to play is, like the first one, unfortunately, a cover of a No Effects song, Sticking in My Eye. <laughs> so here we have Anti Flag and a No Effects cover. Our, all of our originals are apparently lost. And uh, these are the two that we decided hey, we want everyone to hear us. Let's give them two covers. This is how you wanted, yeah, exactly. You wanted to bill yourself as a serious, uh, young uh, punk band. With all the right trimmings of the right influences. So exactly. Why not? Absolutely. So, this is a no effects song. This we recorded at a practice space just on a laptop, no mics, nothing. So, awesome. the, the quality is not great. Again, I am singing and playing bass at the same time, so that is why it does not sound good. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
That was awesome. That was Sam Rose and the Thorns with Dreams of a Sleeping Giant. <laughs> <laughs> that was great, dude. That was definitely not recorded nearly as professionally as no. the first one. No, that was just like at a like it was like a warehouse out in the middle of nowhere in Sacramento that they turned into like a practice space. And uh, so that's we just put my parents' laptop in the corner and just belted it out. I like the uh the, the end cap. Oh dude, that was great. Come <laughs> in. Right. Yeah, shout out to Errol Kavas on drums there playing way too loud, way too fast as usual. When did you create the music that you're going to be sharing uh, next with us? This is something totally different. Cabins, my friend Leanne and my friend Danny. I had been playing music with Leanne since like freshman, sophomore year of high school. And then we really got into a band like junior and senior year. Um, So I think this is probably recorded in junior or senior year of high school, I think. So probably 2008-ish, something like that. What kind of inspirations were you pulling from okay so at this time uh let's see uh for sure i was listening to uh, like early demos of matt and kim before their first like full-length album came out i was listening to a lot of bass hunter are you familiar with bass hunter he's like a swedish trance dj <laughs> listening to a lot of that i was getting back into punk again uh, at that time definitely still listening to like the strokes and interpol and stuff like that um, just like yeah, I listened a lot of Interpolos in those years as well. Yeah, I, my last couple of years of high school and my first couple of years of college, I'm going to be the guy that listens to everything. Yeah, I'm listening to Biggie, but I'm also listening to Choking Victim, like, in the same day. I remember being very excited the day that I realized what I wear doesn't have to determine what I listen to, man. Uh, So, like, I could dress the way I wanted and also listen to all the different music. Which, up until then, was a very novel idea. It was like, well, if I'm going to listen to punk, I have to wear all black and a Ramones t-shirt all the time. And I can't, if I'm wearing that, I can't listen to Tupac also. Oh, dude, you're absolutely right. You know, yeah. but like uh, yeah. senior year, I was like, sure, I'll dress like Michael Sarah, but I will listen to every kind of music. And There's I'm a like, point when I transitioned from wearing all black to colors. And uh, <laughs> and then at this point now, I'm like, I'm almost like hesitant to wear black. I almost don't want to go back to those days. I have. Everything I'm wearing right now is what I would have worn in middle school. I tried very desperately to be as neutral as possible with what I wore in Uh high school because I wanted to be able to listen to whatever I wanted to listen to without being looked at in any sort of judgment. Right. That said, I definitely was rocking Jinkos and baggy pants with maybe ironic or band t-shirts. I think the band t-shirts probably were my go-to T-shirt. Did you have any like awkward hairstyle? Oh yeah, <laughs> awkward. Well, I did the tips, the bleach tips. Oh. I wanted those so bad. <laughs> I bleached my tips twice. Bleached my tips. I um. Yeah. I bleached my nips. No. I, uh... <laughs> oh. <laughs> Let's not go there. I uh, no. I, I had the flip for a long time. You know, the yeah. flip. Oh, I had yeah. the flip for a while. Yeah. Well, are we talking? We're talking pre Bieber sort of thing, or the flip up? The flip up. Yeah, I did that for a long time. Flip up. Yeah. Bieber, Bieber rocked that too, didn't he? Did he? Yeah. I so, so. I, yeah. In elementary school, um, I definitely did like the, the Jimmy Neutron. The, oh, I called it the Joey because it was from Friends. Yes. You know? So yes. I, had, I definitely had that gelled all the way down and then straight. Straight up, straight up, straight up in the front. And then by the time I got into high school, it was like 
sort of long hair pre-Justin Bieber, like bangs kind of thing, you know? Yeah, I did that too. With a hat on top of it. Very Biebery, but pre-Bieber fame. <laughs> so like a, a white DC skate shoes hat and like bangs underneath. My junior prom photo is me with this hair that I'm describing to you right now, but like a five-button pinstripe uh, tux, sort of like a Cedric the Entertainer kind of <laughs> style, and then Vans. Yes! Oh, Okay, I'll show you that. Well, yeah. But in the meantime, let's listen to a song from Cabins. Which one is this? The demo for Pink Freud. Love it. Yeah. Super far out. Yeah, man. That's uh, that's that Pink Freud demo. Uh, we were all in a psychology class together, so uh, I think that's probably where that came from. 
came from the inner recesses of the mind yeah man this project is so weird because like so we'll have some weird like dancey electronic sort of like synth pop but then like one of some of the songs are like very dark and very industrial sounding we were sort of like all over the place but i had a lot of fun with this one we did a show at our school once and during that sort of like last breakdown from that song we all uh stage dive yeah and that was fun that's pretty funny um you guys performed how many times uh uh let's see i think we performed three or four times sweet and with other, like, industrial-type groups? Or no, like, was like, it, like, a mixed kind of uh, bill? No, like, at school functions. Um, you did a talent show? Kind of. So, at my high school, we would do these things where there was, like, there'd be, like, a fundraiser and, like, a fashion show. <laughs> and uh, So, it was, like, a fashion show with cabins music? With music afterwards, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then, so we did that. Then there was also an Earth Day thing, I think, that we did. And then uh, we also played, like, at this... Uh, cafe in midtown sacramento with our physics teachers band comprised of some of some of my other friends (laughs) so interesting uh, so we did that we did imagine that at a very small coffee shop i Uh, love it yeah we uh would have sirens with us uh, on stage (laughs) i think we just tried to be as out there as possible they they didn't need the caffeine there they had the sirens from your your band to (laughs) kind of wake people up yeah i still have it so danny if you're listening i've got that weird police light thing that's still at my parents (laughs) house that dome light we have time for one more track and it's called urban safari yeah
I applaud your your diversity, Sam. That that is some <laughs> crazy shit there. It really is. It really is. That was that's some that's some fun stuff, man. Is that some music that aliens would enjoy? I, I think so. I think so, man. I've got some new music aliens would make. I, I want to make a note of what Jimmy had pointed out during the playing of that, which was this was like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger running. <laughs> <laughs> like, it actually did kind of have a little bit of a Total Recall feel. That's sure. yeah. I felt a little Total Recall. Also yeah. felt a little uh, Running Man, just like with that, <laughs> that with that that you know futuristic TV show totally. uh, theme song. I think my favorite part about that actually is the synth that comes on at the beginning is like very reminiscent of the Bay Area hip hop that was going on that I was listening to a lot at the time. Yeah. And uh, I remember my friend played that on her keyboard and I was like and she was like, "Oh, it's too heavy." I was like, "No, keep it. I fucking love it. It's so hyphy, man." <laughs> and so so we kept it. <laughs> it was like I am very impressed with um what we have uncovered on this episode here today. We've learned... Another thrilling rendition of Lost and Rewild. We've learned so much about you, Sam. We've learned uh, your roots in comedy. You're studying archaeology. You were clearly very much involved in many different types of music when Mm -hmm. you were growing up on the West Coast. So uh, what are you not doing? (laughs) What am I not doing? That's a great question. What am I not doing? Um, Are you not involved with any music anymore whatsoever? Well, actually, when I was in college, um, I was part of a chill wave duo with me and my buddy Will. Shout out to Will. Chill Will on the chill wave. Exactly. Yeah. So we were called Slow Flake, and we were <laughs> we had a chill wave. I like that. We Slow Flake is good. We made a lot of chill wave instrumentals that we could not make lyrics to. So Leanne from Cabins, uh, still a friend of mine, we just decided to hand over all of our audio tracks to her. She's going to sing over them. And then we're gonna actually gonna have like a, like a little uh, demo EP sort of thing released soon. Amazing, of, made out of stuff that me and Will made in 2011 or something. We'll like have that. a SoundCloud for that. I hope. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. We'll have a SoundCloud for that. Yeah, I can't wait to hear it. Where can people uh, be following you in the social meds uh, in the meantime? I uh, can't believe I just. Yeah, I, yeah, you did that. God damn it. <laughs> well, social meads. <laughs> it should be social Sochmeads. 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 Sam Rose on the social meads, where could they find you? Yeah, you, on the social meads, you can find me at Sam Corey Rose, no E in that Corey, on Twitter and also on Instagram. Come see me every third Wednesday at the Artichoke Pizza in Bushwick, 18 Wyckoff Avenue, where I host my show, Fetch, with my friend Jess Reed. Uh, so come check it out. It's a fun show. I've got a couple of shows in L.A. in August as well, but I don't know the specifics to those yet. But the, all the info will be on your Twitter and Instagram. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Check my articles out on The Hard Times and uh, check out uh, the UFOlogy podcast on iTunes. And you can find us all on social media, UFOlogy podcast. Great. Sam Rowe is here on Lost and Rewound. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Don't forget, if you want to contribute something of your own, faithful listener, you can email us your pitches, your ideas at lostandrewound at radiofreebrooklyn.org. You can also catch me. I'll be uh, opening a show at the Topaz on Saturday, July 8th. Beautiful. At uh, 8 p.m. Sweet. So catch me there. Yeah. It's a fun room. And it's a great spot. Take care of all of our great listeners. Thank you guys so much for listening, and have a great day. Lost and Rewound, Radio Free Brooklyn. Is it come getting, Chris? Time to... God. People have a lot of... No, it's okay.
They shouldn't. That's easy. <laughs> I imagine you only record with adults, right? 